Let's take our Bibles. If you have your Bible with you, your phone or your iPad, whatever it may be, here in the room at home, let's go to Matthew. We're at Matthew chapter six. We're gonna pick up our study of the sermon, the sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew five, six, and seven. Now, before we go to those first four verses of chapter six, which is our text for today, um, we need to spend a little time getting reacquainted with the sermon itself, with its theme and its context. Um, if we don't do that, uh, we're gonna read Matthew 6, 1 to 4 in a few moments, and I'm telling you, it's gonna derail us. Because Jesus is gonna say to us, now, now I'm, I'm changing the topic per se, but in essence, Jesus is gonna, it's like Jesus is gonna look at you and say, stop reading your Bible. It's harming you. And you go, what? How could Jesus say stop doing something so good? Well, he's gonna tell us. But we need to understand the, the theme and context of the Sermon on the Mount if we're gonna properly understand and then apply those words to us today. So with that, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just do a, a, a rather quick review, but it's gonna take a little bit of time this morning and go back and consider the, the theme, the, the, the context of the Sermon on the Mount. There are, there are two themes that hold this particular section, the Sermon on the Mount, together. Everything Jesus says, commands, it all arises from these two themes. And the way I want you to think about it is think about it like two rails of a railroad track. They run parallel. And on this railroad track, we find the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount rests on these two parallel, inseparable rails. And as it remains on there, it, it gets us where we need to go. When we get out, we get off these rails, we, we lose track and we get off in the weeds. Now, the first rail, the, the, I'm gonna list here, again, you'll know this, is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The entire book of Matthew, you all, thematically is the kingdom of God. Everywhere throughout Matthew, beginning to end, Jesus comes and, the, and Matthew records this. Jesus came proclaiming, the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, it's beginning to end. In the Sermon on the Mount itself, eight times Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God. We've noted this in the sermon itself. He says, the kingdom of God is the blessing uh, of God, the blessing of the righteous. It is the aim of life and it is the will of the Father, the kingdom of God. That's why Rob and I took a three-week uh, you know, sidebar, so to speak, where we said, look, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, but we gotta stop and we gotta, we gotta really consider what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean? How does it affect us? How does it shape us? The story of the Bible is the story of God establishing his kingdom. That's the story from Genesis to Revelation. The kingdom is lost by Adam and Eve's disobedience. The kingdom is secured by Jesus's obedience. We noted the Bible teaches the kingdom of God. There's different ways to define it, but they all boil down into these statements basically. It is the people of God in the place of God 
under the rule of God, enjoying the blessings of God. This is the kingdom of God. And while the the perfection and fullness of that reality, that kingdom is yet to come, the kingdom is right now. And the ethics of the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom, y'all, they're real right now on the planet through those who have put their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the kingdom is here and it's to come. And so the way we, we, we can say this is the kingdom is now and it is, what's the phrase we use? Not yet. It's now and it's not yet. That tension holds and we must hold it. And in this way, what we come to see is that the Sermon on the Mount, you all, it is a kingdom manifesto. That's what it is. I mean, the whole Bible can go into Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it is the manifesto of those who are in the kingdom. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you're in the kingdom. And, and your identity it, it, it's your identity, it's, it's not essentially male, female, sexuality, politics, um, socioeconomic status. It's none of those. Your identity is citizen of the kingdom. That's what, that's what this tells us. And as such, it tells us a citizen of God's kingdom will live way different than people who are just citizens of this world. How different the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of God, that's the first rail. Everybody with me? Now there's a second rail equal to that and inseparable from it. And that is the heart of man. The heart of man. Of man, if you remember here at Fellowship, you know this. This is, this is at the core of our mission, why we exist. As a church, we exist to glorify God and make disciples by helping people find wholehearted life in Jesus. Y'all, in the same way that from Genesis to Revelation, God establishing his kingdom, in the same vein, I will say, from Genesis to Revelation, it's about the heart of man. God's intention has never been, I need to get their obedience. I need to get them lined up and doing what I say. That, that's not what God is after. God has always been about the heart of man. One of the ways we, we, we pictured this, and I'll unpack it in two ways, is to see the sermon and, and what Jesus is addressing as an iceberg. Again, this is a review if you've been with us. And so when you look at an iceberg, you, you notice you see the tip of the iceberg, but you don't see anything else. Just, just the tip. There's that, that tip is the outward visible reality, uh, but there's an inward unseen reality that we don't see. Let, let, let me give us, this is gonna get us to our text today and where we've been. The religious leaders of Jesus's day had turned faith in God into a set of behaviors. This is how they live. They said to be righteous is to do this and not do this. 
In other words, they viewed their righteousness for God as simply this, the tip of the iceberg. That's all there is. As long as you keep the tips clean and doing the right thing and not doing the bad thing, then you're righteous before God. This is what Jesus stepped into. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus drains the ocean. And so as we look at this picture, we know, oh, wait, it's not just, it's not, the iceberg's not just the tip, it's the whole thing, most of which cannot be seen. Now to see this from a biblical perspective, let me, we change the picture a bit. And we said, well, okay, if God's concerned with the heart and the whole heart, uh, we need to understand what the heart is. And so we, 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 we go here and again, this is review. You all, God's concern is, is not just your choices in life, but your whole heart. This, I, I want you to hear me say this. I'm not taking this from a psychology book. I'm taking it from the Bible. <laughs> He's always been after the heart. The new covenant, what is the new covenant? Hmm, it says God's gonna give them a new heart. heart. He's always after the, the heart, the inward change. Now, again, according to the Bible, the heart, we'll note, is that part of us that is the control center of life. We all have a heart, and it's not just the physical organ. And it is that part of us, immaterial but real, where we think our thoughts, where we feel our feelings, where we have longings and desires, and where we make choices, our volition. So you put that whole package together, what do you have? The heart. This is the heart of humanity. Now, the way we connected this to the iceberg illustration is to say that most of us in our fallenness, I, I gotta say this, 100% of us in our fallenness, we live life not based upon our whole heart, but if I can show it list like this on the screen, it's that we live life based on our choices. So that, so that you and I go through life going, well, as long as my choices are right, Right, so as long as, look, look, I, I did the right thing. I'm doing a good thing. By the way, I didn't do the bad thing, and this is how we view life. And yet, as I've already said, Jesus drains the ocean. He says, no, it's not just about your behavior. It's about your thoughts and attitudes. It's about your emotional world. That's a part of who you are in Christ, in the image of God. And it's about your longings and desires. Those things really matter, not just what you do or what you don't do. So you see that the, the, the two themes, the kingdom of God, the heart of man, it's, it's those two things that we, gotta, we have to keep in mind all the way through the sermon. And if we don't, you know, we will, as I'm describing it here, we'll get off the rails and we'll be off the rails in six, one to four in just a moment without those two things. So having addressed, we're moving, moving to the text now of today, having addressed their misunderstanding of the law, chapter five, verses 12 to 48, Jesus goes, You've heard it said, the law says, but I say, okay, he's, he's cleared up all this misunderstanding where they thought the law said this and Jesus says, no, it's about this. He's now gonna move to their misapplication of religious devotion 
or, or piety. Uh, we might say it this way, their misapplication of spiritual disciplines. Now, the, the part we're gonna read today is a part of a, of a unit. Chapter six, verse one, through chapter six, verse 18. It's a unit. And you're gonna see within this unit, he addresses three spiritual disciplines that are misapplied. Giving, meeting the needs of others. Prayer and fasting. Now it's gonna take us four weeks to get through this section. So this morning, I'm just taking the first part, which is giving. I want you to turn there. Uh, Matthew chapter six, verses one to four. Follow along in your Bibles. <laughs> this is God's word for us today. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, <laughs> do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you remember I said, I said earlier that the religious leaders of Jesus's day, they had, they had taken faith in God and they had turned it in simply to this, do this and don't do that. They had turned it into a set of behaviors. Why does Jesus choose these three? Giving, prayer, and fasting. Because these are the big three of the scribes and Pharisees. We have historical writings that tell us the rabbis of Jesus's day, they believed that meeting the needs of others could atone and would atone for your sin. Now think about that. If, 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 you were, if, you, if you were taught that, boy, when you, meet the need of a, when you meet the need of someone in need, you've covered your sin. I mean, just massive motivation to meet the needs of others. Now, I want you to note that Jesus doesn't eliminate the big three. It's like, well, the Pharisees are doing it. Y'all need to stop doing that. Let me give you three new things to do. No. In every one of these, we're gonna note this as we go through it. It says, when you give to the needy and when you pray, keep, keep doing it. And when you fast, you know, keep doing this. He doesn't eliminate the, dis the, the discipline. He expects it. So citizens of God's kingdom, these are three things that, God, that Jesus expects those who follow him will continue to do. The issue's not in the giving, it's in what's below the waterline. You, go, you gotta go down and look, well, what's in the heart when you're giving? And we see this in verse one. I've, I've got an underline in my Bible. He says, you know, beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Or there in verse two, that they may be praised by others. This is so, so important. Jesus is pointing to their thoughts and attitudes, to their longings, to their motives. 
He's pointing, hey, it's not just what you do, it's why you do what you do. Now, this is critical. The religious leaders did, they did righteous in order to be righteous. That's the religious leaders. Of the, we're gonna, I'm gonna do righteous in order to be righteous. And this is the perversion of the gospel that Jesus is addressing and the, the New Testament letters address. Y'all, the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and faith in him for salvation alone. The gospel is this, Jesus did the righteousness we could never do. He did it. By faith in Jesus, his righteousness is credited to us. We get an alien righteousness. Therefore, when we do righteousness, it is an expression of a righteousness that's already ours. We're not doing it to get it, to be made right before God. We've been made right by faith in Jesus and his righteousness. So our um, citizens of the kingdom are righteous and therefore do righteous things. Our good deeds, you see, flow from a heart that has been transformed. The gospel of Jesus, this is gonna sound odd, the gospel of Jesus is not fundamentally about making you behave better. It's not what the gospel does per se. It's not what it's about per se. It's about transforming your whole heart. New covenant, I will give them a new heart. Paul's words, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. <laughs> you're a new creation. I'm gonna cut to the quick on this. It seems Jesus gives us two motivations in life to be seen by others hmm, or to be seen by God and never the twain shall meet. It's one or the other. And to be clear on this, both motivations actually get rewarded, don't they? So if you do something and your motive is, I, I want people to see me do this, well, they will see you and you have your reward. If you say, I do this, and God, you see me do it, I'm not doing this for other people to see, but this is before you, then you too will get your reward, which is not the applause of men, but from the very hand of God. Now, okay, here's why this is easier said than, than done. If I can, again, maybe graphically describe this. I think that, that we, in our fallenness, we live life, use the analogy again of the iceberg of the heart, here's how we live life. Our choices are all we see. And so this person, you know, this person looks over at this person and this person does a good deed and we go, wow, you're a good person. That's, you're fantastic, way to go. And this person looks over at this person and sees 
wow, you were so generous. You did this. You're, you're, you're righteous, you know, clearly by the way you live your life. Now, this is, this is how we see each other. This is the horizontal view of life. This is us in our fallenness that we, you know, we applaud the, the, the good deeds we see in other. Now, here, here's what the Bible says, that God looks not just at the choices, but at the whole heart. The whole heart. God's looking down at the thoughts and attitudes of your heart, the longings and the desires of your heart, the motives of your heart. In this world, in this life, I can't be comprehensive in this, but I, I think this holds relatively true. You and I, on a horizontal plane, get ahead in life when we do good things, regardless of the motive. That, you know, I'm not gonna, well, you know, all of the, it'd be true in all these, but let's just take, you know, if, if you wanna climb the corporate ladder, I'm telling you, do the right thing. And it doesn't really matter what the motive is. Now, I know that's not true in every organization, but you know what I'm saying, it's, it's relatively, True, <laughs> that you know what, as long as, hey, as long as you do this, you know, that doesn't matter. And you'll get rewarded, that's what's crazy. You get promoted, you go up the ladder. Think about it relationally even. If you wanna get the girl, you wanna get the guy, then do this. But it, it doesn't matter what's underneath the water line. That's why it's just so hard, is it not, when living horizontally. And here's where we find this principle that I think resides in the passage and I'll offer to you again. Remember, the point of the passage is God sees the whole heart. The whole heart matters. The motives of the heart matter. And I'd state the principle like this. And, and, and we often ignore this principle or we just don't know about it maybe or we, we just miss it. Start with your motivation not your obedience. Start with your motivation, not your obedience. Now, I, I can hear some minds going and you may be going, okay, wait a minute. Um, Lord, if I wait for my motivation to get right, I'll never do it. I'll never do good. Or, or you may say, Lord, this, look, the, look, Lord, faith is doing what Jesus says to do. It doesn't matter how you feel or it just matters. If he says do it, you do it. Fake it till you make it kind of a thing, right? Some of you may be saying, discipline means you, know, you raise your kids and go, I don't care what you feel, you're doing it because I told you to do it. You know, I mean, it's that. And I hear you and I agree with you. And I want you to know, I didn't say, I didn't say, don't do what Jesus tells you to do until you feel like it. That's not what I said. I didn't say don't, don't, don't do what Jesus does until the fear goes away. That's not what I said. I said start with your motivation, not your obedience. Because when we obey with the wrong motive, it's wrong. That, that's just what he says. 
you know, we're, in Jesus' words, you're a hypocrite. So, so hypocrite, actor, put a mask on. You think people see the mask, but they don't see the real you. We, we often think, and rightly so, that a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and doesn't. That person's such a hypocrite. She said she was gonna, but then she, she's such a hypocrite. Well, that's true. That's a hypocrite. But Jesus gives us another category of hypocrite here, doesn't he? For the man who does a good thing for the wrong motive, Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Because <laughs> you're doing it for the wrong motive. Which, I wanna press this far enough because I think it's appropriate and we need to. It may mean that some of us need to give less. How about this one? Pray less. I'm not even gonna grab fasting because who, who, who does enough, right? So, but you say, wait a minute, Lloyd, how can you stand up there and open the Bible and tell me I need to give less and pray less? Well, I'll put it in these terms. It's, uh, it's like you are going somewhere and you put the location in your GPS and you are making great time, but you put the wrong destination in. And so you're making great time in the wrong direction. So look, we can do good deeds all that we want. But if the motive is not right, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going in the completely wrong direction and gaining speed by doing more. So perhaps give less, pray less and consider your motives. Consider my motives. Well, we don't know if Jesus is being literal in his words when he says, sound no trumpet. I, I will say most scholars agree. It's, it's not that they, I'm gonna give now. It's not that. It is, uh, don't draw attention to yourself when you do a good deed. When you meet a, per, when you meet a need of someone, don't, don't tell the whole world, hey, I met the need of that person. That's the point that he's making. It's likely as well, it's an idiom. In another idiom, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It can't be literal, can it? Let's just think logically as, as God's given us a brain. My right hand doesn't even know that I just picked up that pencil. It's like crazy. Of course, my, I know what my left hand just did. Now I've had people, and you know, we can slide into this and go, you know, that's why we give secretly. Don't ever let anyone know what you give you know, financially. And it's just not what Jesus is saying here that we slip into this woodenness, literalness of, of the text. If we do that, we're doing just what the scribes and Pharisees did. Jesus is not saying all giving needs to be in secret any more than he's saying all prayer needs to be in secret. Are you, how, that all fasting? No. Do you know, when you read your Bible, do you notice Jesus prayed, gave, met needs and fasted publicly? Oh, you know, we saw him do it, right? Look at the apostles in the book of Acts. They did it. How do you disciple someone without helping them see this is how you give? If, if we have someone say, look, this is what I gave toward this or I give it. It's not, they're not, if, if they're not, they're not, 
That's not necessarily wrong. You see, it's not all to be in secret, but I'll tell you what, when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, who's he talking to? He's not saying, don't let other people know what you give. Let's take it the way he said it. He's saying, don't even let yourself know. What? <laughs> That's what he's saying. Don't even let yourself know. Well, Jesus, what do you mean? He means, may your meeting of other people's needs be such a part of who you are as a citizen of the kingdom and that you do it so often you don't even think about it anymore. That's what he's saying. How many of us get in our car and go, open door, key in? We don't do that, why? Because we drive the car all the time. That's, all he's, that's what he's saying. May our meeting of the needs of others be so natural, supernatural, that we're not patting ourselves, we're not even, we don't even remember the ways we've met the needs of others. Well, if you haven't felt this tension, I, 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 I think many of us have, just a few verses ago, Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and get, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can he say, let your light shine, let people see your good works? And then we come over to chapter six, and he says, Psst, shh, don't let anybody see <laughs> what's going on. Well, again, stay in the context, think about it. As, as we do our Bible study, um, we note that in both, he's addressing motivation and different motivation. If you look at chapter five, verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. The motive of the heart in this case is God, you get the glory. The motive in chapter six, verses one through four and all the way through 18 is, hey, everybody, Look at me. Do you see that? So there's no, there's no contradiction here. What's your motive? If your motive is God's glory, that you, you do it and let the world see it that they see God. But if your motive is, I'm gonna do this so people see me, then you are absolutely moving in the wrong direction. All right, let's go to our own application. Now, again, if you're new to fellowship online, if you... You know, our understanding of the Bible is it's not a book to inform us, but to change us and transform us. And therefore we always, we, we don't stop with, what did you learn? We actually stop with this. What are you gonna do? That's how we change. Not a legalistic, what are you gonna do? It's your heart's been changed. You're indwelt by the spirit, by the power of the spirit. What are you gonna do? And so we pause and we ask ourselves that question. I wanna do that with this particular text. Again, over the next four weeks, Jesus is gonna focus on motivation. But even as he focuses on our motivation below the waterline, he, he doesn't say, and by the way, don't do it. No, he says, and do it. See, so we're still talking about our obedience. And so I wanna ask you to consider what your own spirit-led obedience might be. I'm gonna walk you through four questions, if, if I may. And I want you to, to think about this. 
I want you to ask the Spirit, first of all, to bring to your mind a need that someone has that you can meet. So this is, this is the, the Christian life. This, we're doing the Christian life together right now. We're saying, Spirit, show me, speak to me, teach me. Ask the Spirit to bring to mind someone that, a need that is just, either you saw it this week or it's gonna come to you to, in this moment or it might come to you in the week, but Spirit, show me a need that, that I can meet. Ask the Spirit to do that. Just trust the Spirit to lead. Now again, this may, you may, it may come to you later, but I'm inviting you to trust the Spirit even now because He can speak to you right now and show you something or someone. So I'm gonna ask you again to get more specific and go, okay, what, Holy Spirit, how concretely would you have me give to meet that need? It may be you do something to meet that need. It may be you give, but trust the Spirit to speak to you. You can write it down, make a mental note. And the third thing is that we're gonna bring our motive to light. We're gonna ask and answer the question, why am I doing this? And we've already said it's, it's either to be seen by others or to be seen by God. I, 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 you will never, mark, mark my words on this, you will never do anything in life with a pure motive. You can't, with a fallen heart. It's just gonna have some junk in it all the time. What we can do and must do is bring our motives to God. You know, when we speak of the cross or we speak of the heart, those four quadrants of the heart, you know, the most important thing on that diagram is the middle part, which is the cross. The cross, the cross. We bring all of our heart to the cross. And so with this motive thing, all I'm gonna ask you to do is just say, Holy Spirit, you know, I'm thinking about this and uh, there's part of me that's doing this for this. Part of us doing this for a wrong... Well, we bring it to the cross and confess it. I've got a bad motive here, but Lord, help me change my heart. And by the way, it's not that you got a bad motive. I'm not gonna. No, it's, I have a motive. It's not pure Lord, but you shape my heart. I'll, I'll obey you in it, but shape my heart. Some of you may be going, you know, you're going, well, Lord, I'm doing it because you're telling me to. <laughs> It's not a good motive. Well, let me offer this. I would suggest, take me out of the picture, read the verse, and I would suggest Jesus is, it's, I'm just, I'm trying to help, I'm trying to, trying to help you see Jesus is inviting you to this, not me. Bring your motive to light. And the last thing is just this, sometime this week, depending on the spirit. Y'all, the Christian life's impossible. You can't do it. The spirit of God does it in us and we depend on the spirit to, to, to guide us. Depending on the spirit, here's my invitation to you. Meet a need, the, the need that God gives you and do it in secret. Don't tell anybody. Trust that God sees it and you receive his reward. I'm gonna invite you to stand.
Let's stand together. We have one more application. I would call it maybe a, a help to application. See, the enemy of our souls is already at work. The, 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 the devil never stops lying to us. And he could be lying to you now. It's kind of like, oh my gosh. You just talked about motives. Now you're telling us to do something. I, I don't know what he's saying to you, but you're a hypocrite. You can't, you know, whatever he's saying, it's never the whole truth. That'd be maybe part truth, but it's never the whole truth. And so we, you know, we've got to cast ourselves on the whole truth. And here's the whole truth. God loves you and has demonstrated it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the whole truth. You're a citizen of the kingdom. That's the whole truth if you've placed your faith in Christ. The, the devil's such a liar. And so we, we, we combat that by throwing ourselves on the truth. And you know one of the best ways to do that to the heart, the human heart? And I think God has orchestrated it this way. It's to sing to our heart. Sometimes you can just talk to it. I'm telling you, God has put a melody out there that he might, we might sing to our heart. And that's what we're gonna do. Now, I want you to be listening for this lyric. My heart has been in your sights long before my first breath. He's after your heart. Your heart. It's from the heart we obey. And in Christ, the Father has changed our hearts. You aren't who you were. You are a new creation. God has given you a new heart. And from that heart, we do good things, you all. We meet needs, not for our glory, but for his and for his alone.